Chapter 14 of Witch of Salem. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty Chris. Witch of Salem by John R. Music. Chapter 14 The Fate of Goody Nurse. O oh, lives there, heaven beneath thy dread expanse, one hopeless dark idolator of chance, content to feed with pleasures unrefined the lukewarm passions of a lowly mind? Campbell Charles Stevens was sleeping soundly, dreaming of Cora and peace, when there came a rap at the outer door. He rose and, but half-dressed, proceeded to open it, Four tall, dark men stood without. By the aid of the moon he recognized Mr. Paris, Bly, and Louder. "'Is Mr. Waters here?' asked Mr. Paris. "'He is asleep in his room,' Charles answered. "'Awake him. This good man from Virginia wants to see him.' Charles turned away and went to Mr. Waters' room. The door was ajar, and entering he found the apartment vacant. An open window showed by what means Mr. Waters had made his escape. Charles hastened to inform the nocturnal visitors, and a scene ensued that can be as well imagined as described. Charles was upbraided for aiding a criminal to escape. Mr. Joel Martin, the brother of the overseer shot in Virginia, was enraged that his brother's slayer should, after years of search, be discovered only to escape his clutches while Mr. Paris with assumed piety, declared, It is ever thus when one covenants with the devil, an actor in the theatres taken to the home and family of those claiming to be Christians. Verily, I am not surprised that he is also a murderer. When one lets go his hold on the Lord, there can be no crime to which he will not descend. The household was roused and Cora was informed of her father's narrow escape. Mr. Martin, from Virginia, had a requisition from that colony for his arrest. She wept, but said not a word. When the disappointed officers went away, Charles sought to comfort her, but she answered, "'Cruel fate seems to have doomed me to misery, Charles. Father cannot return. I cannot escape.' and I feel that Mr. Paris is drawing a net about me which will entangle my feet. Trust in God, and all is well, Charles answered. Often in the darkest hours her pious father had offered the same advice, for he was a firm believer in divine intervention in human affairs. Next day a daughter of Goody Nurse came to the house, weeping as if her heart would break. "'What is the matter, Sarah?' asked Mrs. Stevens. "'Mother is arrested,' sobbed the young woman." arrested yes for what charge charles asked for being a witch a warrant has been sworn out against her and she was taken away this morning here the unfortunate woman broke down and sobbed in silence where was she taken asked mrs stevens to jail and put in irons for a witch must be put in irons it is charged that she hath bewitched abigail williams and the other children of mr paris's circle were Mr. Paris a creation of fiction and not a real character of history, no doubt the critic would say he was overdrawn. But Mr. Paris was a living, breathing man, or a fiend in human form. He had a large following and was spoken of as our beloved pastor. 
Mr. George Bancroft, America's greatest historian, says, The delusion but for Parrish would have languished. Of his own niece, the girl of eleven years of age, he demanded the names of the devil's instruments who bewitched the band of the afflicted, and then became at once informer and witness. In those days there was no prosecuting officer, and Paris was at hand to question his Indian servants and others, himself prompting their answers and acting as recorder for the magistrates. The recollection of the old controversy in the parish could not be forgotten, and Paris, moved by personal malice as well as blind zeal, stifled the accusation of some. Such is the testimony of the people of his own village, and, at the same time, vigilantly promoting the accusation of others, was the beginning and procurer of the afflictions of Salem village and country. Martha Corey, who on her examination in the meeting-house before a throng, with a firm spirit alone against them all, denied the presence of witchcraft, was committed to prison. Rebecca Nurse, likewise a woman of purest life, an object of special hatred of Paris, resisted the company of accusers, and was committed. And Paris, filling his prayers with the theme, made the pulpit ring with it. Have not I chosen you twelve? Such was his text. And one of you is a devil? At this Sarah Cloyce, sister to Rebecca Nurse, rose up and left the meeting-house, and she, too, was cried out upon and sent to prison. Mrs. Stevens, her son, and Cora Waters tried to soothe the fears of the poor young maid, who, in her hour of affliction, childlike, had flown to her friends with her tale of woe. "'I will go at once and denounce Mr. Paris for the part he has played in this,' cried Charles, starting from the house. At the little gate he was overtaken by Cora, who, laying her hand on his arm, said, "'Don't go, Charles. Don't leave the house while in this heat of passion.' "'Cora, I cannot endure that hypocrite longer. He is a devil, not a man, to carry his malice so far.' "'But reflect, Charles.' What you might say in the heat of your anger can do poor Goody Nurse no good. It will be a relief to me. No, it may engender future trouble. This is a trying hour. The danger is great. Let us take time for deliberation. He was persuaded by Cora to say nothing at that time, and returned to the house. To the sorrowing daughter had been administered such consolation as faithful, loving friends could offer, and she went home hoping that her unfortunate mother might yet escape the wrath of Mr. Paris. "'It is all the work of Samuel Paris,' declared Mrs. Stevens. "'Because Goody Nurse opposed his ministry, he seeks revenge.' "'Paris is an unworthy man,' Charles declared. Before he could say more, Cora Waters, who had posted herself as sentry at the door, said, "'Here comes Anne Putnam.' At the mention of this woman's name, both Charles and his mother became silent. She was the mother of one of the afflicted children, and was herself of high nervous temperament, undisciplined in mind, and an absolute devotee to her pastor. She was at this time about thirty years of age, with blue eyes, brown hair, and face fair and round. As she entered the door, almost out of breath, she cried, I come, Goody Stevens, to be the bearer of what I trust will be welcome tidings. 
goody nurse hath been arrested and sent to prison for her grievously tormenting the family of Mr. Paris and myself. Can you suspect that such news will be welcome tidings in this home, cried Mrs. Stevens. And Putnam, truly, you must believe that I am unworthy to be called woman, if you think I can rejoice at the downfall of that good woman. Good woman, shrieked Anne Putnam, stamping her foot on the floor with such force as to make the house quiver. Good woman, she is a witch. She opposed our beloved pastor his stipend. She wished to remove him, and because she failed, she now assails his household with her witchcraft. Oh, vile creature, I would I had never seen her. Anne Putnam, you are deluded. Deluded, shrieked Anne Putnam her eyes flashing with fire. Could you all but see me in my sore afflictions? Could you but know the fits I have, and witness the suffering of her victims? You would not call it delusion. In Putnam, Mr. Paris has so wrought upon your imagination that you are insane. At the attempts to impute anything evil to her beloved pastor, Anne Putnam's rage knew no bounds and, in a voice choking with wrath, she declared that Mr. Paris was the most saintly man living. "'His zeal for the cause of Christ hath brought down upon him the wrath of the worldly-minded. He is a saint, a glorious saint, and because he denounced Cora Waters for being the child of a player, you would malign him.' "'Anne Putnam,' interrupted Charles Stevens, you have no right to impugn the motives of my mother, nor to assail our guest. The zeal of Mr. Paris has made a monster of him. He is a wicked, cruel, revengeful man, rather than a follower of the meek and lowly Lamb of God. I will not stay where my blessed pastor is spoken so ill of, declared Anne Putnam, and she bounded out of the door, shaking the dust off of her shoes. At the gate she paused and held her fist in the air, and at the height of her masculine voice screamed, I denounce you! I cry out against you, Hattie Stevens! I will to do no more with you! And, having performed that wonderful act of discarding a former friend, she turned about and hurried over the hill. Charles, I am sorry you and your mother angered her, said Cora. Why, Cora? he asked. She can do us ill. Anne Putnam is an evil woman and a fit follower for such a man as Paris, declared Charles. My mother did a noble act in denouncing him. It is time, Charles, interrupted Cora. I feel I know that if evil befalls you, I am the cause. I must go away. I cannot remain here to prove the ruin of those who befriended me. I must go away. Where would you go? I know not where, but I will go anywhere so that I may not prove the ruin of my friends. The wild heathen in the forest could not be more cruel than these people. Cora, you shall not go, cried Charles. No, you shall not. I will protect you and mother. I have friends, friends true and strong, friends of whom they little dream. They live in the forest and will come to my aid by the hundreds to fight my battles. Do you mean the Indians? Yes. Two years ago I saved the life of Oricus, a young chief, and made him my friend. 
An Indian, once a friend, is the truest of friends. Oricus and his warriors would die for me. Do not appeal to the Indians if you can avoid it, the girl pled. Charles assured her, if she did go away, it would not remove the wrath of the minister from them, and she decided to remain. Mr. Paris hated Rebecca Nurse more than any other person in Salem. He was now about to accomplish his designs. Until the day of trial, Rebecca Nurse lay in jail with great heavy fetters which she could scarcely carry upon her. Her husband, family, and friends did all in their power to procure her release on bond, but witchcraft was not available offense. They tried to secure mercy for the old woman for Mr. Paris, but he was inexorable. When Mr. Paris, a few months before, was publicly complaining of neglect in the matter of firewood for the parsonage, and of lukewarmness on the part of the hearers of his services, Landlord Nurse was a member of the committee who had to deal with him, and he and his relatives were among the majority who were longing for Mr. Paris's apparently inevitable departure. So, when through the mechanizations of the pastor the good woman was arrested, they appealed to him in vain for mercy. The meeting-house in which the trial was held was crowded with spectators. Neighbor jostled neighbor, and terrible, awe-inspiring whispers ran over the throng. Prayer was offered, and the court opened, and Rebecca Nurse, weak and sick, old and infirm as she was, was made to stand up before that tribunal to plead to the charge of witchcraft. When her son would have supported his aged mother, he was driven away. Mr. Paris was the first witness called. The law of evidence, or at least the practice in Salem at that time, was quite different from the present. Hearsay testimony was freely admitted in the case of Goody Nurse. Mr. Paris stated that he was called to see a certain person who was sick. Mercy Lewis was sent for. She was struck dumb on entering the chamber. She was asked to hold up her hand if she saw any of the witches afflicting the patient. Presently she held up her hand, then fell into a trance. While coming to herself, she said that she saw the specters of Goody Nurse and Goody Carrier having hold of the head of the sick man. The testimony of Mr. Paris was given in a calm and deliberate manner calculated to impress the jury with truth. Never did an assassin wet his dagger with more coolness or with more malice drive it into the heart of his victim than did this sanctimonious villain weave the net of ruin about his victims. Thomas Putnam, the husband of Anne Putnam, stated that both his wife and child were bewitched and had most grievous fits, all of which they had charged to Goody Nurse. He described his wife as being sorely attacked and striving violently with her arms and legs, and presently she would begin to converse with good wife Nurse, saying, Goody Nurse, be gone, be gone, be gone! Are you not ashamed, a woman of your profession, to afflict a poor creature so? What hurt did I ever do you in my life? You have but two years to live, and then the devil will torment your soul. For this your name is blotted out of God's book, and it shall never be put in God's book again. Be gone, for shame. Are you not afraid of what is coming upon you? I know what will make you afraid, the wrath of an angry God. I am sure that will make you afraid. Be gone. Do not torment me. I know what you would have, but it is out of your reach. It is clothed with the white robes of Christ's righteousness. After this, she seemed to dispute with the apparition about a particular text of Scripture while she kept her eyes closed all the time. 
The apparition seemed to deny it, and she said she was sure there was such a text, and she would tell it, and then the shape would be gone, said she. I am sure you cannot stand before that text. Then she was sorely afflicted, her mouth drawn on one side, and her body strained for about a minute, and then she said, I will tell, I will tell, it is, it is, it is the third chapter of the Revelations. Such stuff could not in this day be admitted in any intelligent court of justice. Anne Putnam, the wife of Thomas Putnam, was next to testify against Goody Nurse. She said, On March 18, 1692, being wearied out in helping to tend my poor afflicted child and maid, about the middle of the afternoon I lay me down on the bed to take a little rest, and immediately I was almost pressed and choked to death that had it not been for the mercy of a gracious God and the help of those that were with me, I could not have lived many moments and presently i saw the apparition of martha corey who did torture me so as i cannot express ready to tear me to pieces and then departed from me a little while but before i could recover strength or well take breath the apparition of rebecca nurse fell upon me again with dreadful tortures and hellish temptations to go along with her and she brought me a little red book in her hand and a black pen urging me vehemently to write in her book and several times that day she did most grievously torture me almost ready to kill me and on that same day Martha Corey and Rebecca Nurse, the wife of Francis Nurse Sr., did both torture me, with tortures such as no tongue can express. Did you suffer from Rebecca Nurse again? the witness was asked. Yes. When? On diverse times, on the twentieth, which was the Sabbath day, after that, she came and sat upon my breast, and did sorely torment me, and threatened to bear the soul out of my body, blasphemously denying the blessed God and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to save my soul, and denying several passages of Scripture which I told her of, to repel her hellish temptations. The afflicted children were present and when the unfortunate prisoner, tired and sick, bent her head, they began to scream and bend their heads also. When she gazed at Abigail Williams, the girl was seized with a convulsion, and so were the others, so that the trial had to be suspended for a few minutes, until quiet was restored. Charles Stevens, who was present, remarked loud enough to be heard, if they had a stick well laid about their backs, I trow it would cure them of such devil's capers. Have a care, Charles. Take heed of your hasty speech, said a bystander. Mrs. Putnam, fearful that her first deposition would not convict the woman who had dared speak boldly against her beloved pastor, again took the stand and testified. Once, when Rebecca Nurse's apparition appeared unto me, she declared that she had killed Benjamin Holton, John Friller, and Rebecca Shepherd, and that she and her sister Cloyce and Edward Bishop's wife had killed John Putnam's child. Immediately there did appear to me six children in winding sheets which called me aunt, which did most grievously affright me, 
and they told me that they were my sister Baker's children of Boston, and that Goody Nurse, Mistress Corey of Charlestown, and an old deaf woman at Boston murdered them, and charged me to go and tell these things to the magistrates, or else they would tear me to pieces, for their blood did cry for vengeance. Also there appeared to me my own sister Bailey and her three of her children in winding sheets, and told me that Goody Nurse had murdered them. This evidence was followed by the afflicted children bearing testimony to being grievously tormented by defendant, who came sometimes in the shape of a black cat, a dog, or a pig, and who was sometimes accompanied by a black man. Louder next related his experience of being changed to a horse and ridden to a witch's ball, and of seeing Rebecca Nurse ride through the air on a broomstick. The West Indian Negro man, John, the husband of Tatuba, and servant of Mr. Paris, was next put on the witness stand. The magistrate asked him, John, who hurt you? Goody Nurse first, and then Goody Corey. What did she do to you? She brought the book to me. John, tell the truth. Who hurt you? Have you been hurt? The first was the gentleman I saw. But who hurt you next? Goody Nurse. She choked me and brought me the book. Where did she take hold of you? Upon my throat, to stop my breath. What did Goody Nurse do? She pinched me until the blood came. At this, Aunt Putnam had a fit and was carried out. Abigail Williams was called to the stand and asked, Abigail Williams, did you see a company at Mr. Paris's house eat and drink? Yes, sir. That was the sacrament. How many were there? About forty. Goody Cloyce and Goody Good were their deacons. What was it? They said it was our blood, and they had it twice that day. Have you seen a white man? Yes, sir, a great many times. What sort of man was he? A fine, grave man, and when he came he made all the witches to tremble. Did you see the party of witches at Deacon Ingersoll's? I did. Who was there? Goody Cloyce, Goody Corey, Goody Nurse, and Goody Good. Then the examining magistrate turned to the old, infirm, and unfortunate prisoner and asked, What do you say, Goody Nurse, to these things? The old, sick woman, summoning up all her energies, answered, I take God to be my witness, that I know nothing of it, no more than the child unborn. The jury did not consider the evidence strong enough for hanging an old lady who had been the ornament of their church and the glory of their village and its society, and they brought in a verdict of not guilty. The momentary rejoicing of the triumphant defendants was drowned by the howls of the afflicted and the upbraiding of Mr. Paris. One judge declared himself dissatisfied, another promised to have her tried anew, and the Chief Justice pointed out a phrase used by the prisoner, which might be made to signify that she was one of the accused gang in guilt as well as in jeopardy. It might really seem as if the authorities were all scheming together when we see the ingenuity and persistence with which they discussed the three words of our company as used by the accused. The poor old woman offered an explanation which ought to have been satisfactory. I intended no otherwise than as they were prisoners with us, 
and therefore did then and yet do judge them not legal evidence against their fellow prisoners and i being something hard of hearing and full of grief none informing me of how the court took up my words therefore had no opportunity to declare what i intended when i said they were of our company the foreman of the jury would have taken a favorable view of this matter and have allowed full consideration while other jurymen were eager to recall the mistake of the verdict but the prisoner's silence from failing to hear when she was expected to explain turned the foreman against her and caused him to declare whereupon these words were to me a principal evidence against her still it was too monstrous to hang the poor old woman after her condemnation the governor reprieved her probably on the ground of the illegality of setting aside the first verdict of the jury in the absence of any new evidence but mr paris the power behind the people caused such an outcry against executive clemency to be raised that the governor withdrew his reprieve next sunday after the sentence there was a scene in the church the record of which was afterward annotated by the church members in grief and humiliation after the sacrament by a vote it was unanimously agreed that sister nurse being convicted as a witch by the court should be excommunicated in the afternoon of the same day charles stevens impelled by a morbid curiosity went to the church that afternoon the place was thronged paris with the triumphant gleam of a devil on his hypocritical features was in the pulpit with the elders the deacons presided below the sheriff and his officers brought in the witch and led her up the broad aisle her chains clanking as she stepped and her poor old limbs scarcely able to bear their weight as she stood in the middle of the aisle the reverend mr noyes pronounced her sentence of expulsion from the church on earth and from all hope of salvation hereafter having freely given her soul to satan by a seven years service for diabolical powers she was delivered over to him forever in conclusion reverend noyes said and now vile woman having sold yourself to the devil go to your master amid the hottest flames of hell she was aware that every eye regarded her with horror and hate unapproached under any circumstances but she was able to sustain it she was still calm and at peace that day and during the fortnight of final waiting when the fatal day of execution came she traversed the streets of salem between the houses in which she had been an honored guest and surrounded by well-known faces and then there was the hard hard task for her aged limbs of climbing the rocky and steep paths on witch's hill to the place where the gibbets stood in a row and the hangman was waiting for her sarah good and six others of whom salem chose to be rid that day went with her it was the nineteenth of july sixteen ninety two when at a signal all eight swung off into eternity and reverend mr noyes in his zeal pointing to the swaying bodies said there hang eight firebrands of hell mr paris unable to conceal his triumph declared these the most holy words ever uttered by lips not divine the bodies were put away on the hill like so many dead dogs but during the silent watches of the night 
Charles Stevens and the sons and grandsons of Rebecca Nurse disinterred her and brought her remains home, where a coffin had been prepared. Mrs. Stevens and Cora Waters dressed the body in most becoming robes. All kissed the cold dead face of one they loved as she lay in the rear room, the windows blinded and a guard outside. Then the body was hurriedly buried in a grave prepared in the field, where soon after the afflicted husband slept at her side. Considering such horrible events, one can but conclude that superstition was having full sway. End of chapter 14 Recording by Marty Chris.